Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash CPJ. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Servier Pharmaceuticals. Hello, I'm John Primrose. I'm Professor of Surgery at the University of Southampton in the UK. And I'm a, principally a hepatobiliary surgeon with an interest in biliary tract cancer. So welcome to this activity on the role of molecular testing and a multidisciplinary approach to cholangiocarcinoma. I'm really pleased to have uh, with me today uh, two esteemed colleagues, Dr. Angela Marca, medical oncologist from Madrid in Spain, and Dr. Nicola Normano, molecular pathologist from Naples in Italy. In this first part, we'll explore the actionable uh, targets and currently available, available treatment options in cholangiocarcinoma. So cholangiocarcinoma uh, is defined now as a less common cancer. It's the second most common primary liver cancer. Uh, commonly, it's split into intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, which is found within uh, the substance of the liver, Perihilar cholangiocarcinoma, which involves the main hepatic uh, ducts at, the con at their confluence, and distal cholangiocarcinoma, which affects the distal part of the biliary tree. Cholangiocarcinoma is a cancer rich in actionable mutations. I'm going to ask uh, Nicola uh, to describe these now. Sure, John. In uh, cholangiocarcinoma, we have six different level one uh, genomic alteration according to ESCAT, the ESMO scale for clinical actuality of target. Basically, the level 1 alteration according to ESCAT are those biomarkers that are ready for clinical implementation. The biomarkers that really predict the response to match therapy according to data from clinical trial. Now, the level 1 alteration in are IDH1 mutation, fusions of FGFR2, amplification or overexpression of R2. Uh, microdialite instability, fusions over track, and mutations in BROF boosters like 600E. Now, if we sum up you know, these different alterations, we end up with almost 40% of patients with cholangiocarcinoma, which may have a target that is, uh, can be addressed using precision medicine. And I think this is a very important innovation that we are facing with cholangiocarcinoma. Thank you. So, if we are going to uh, determine uh, whether patients have these alterations, obviously molecular testing uh, has to be done. Now, PeerVoice conducted a survey amongst oncologists, pathologists, radiologists, and surgeons to try and understand the unmet need in terms of the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma across Europe. And the first thing we'd like to discuss is a question of which technique should com most commonly be used to assess molecular alterations in uh, cholangiocarcinoma. So, N Nicola, can you comment on the molecular testing that is uh, demonstrated by th these the, this this survey? Well, let's start first from the point that ASMO recommends that molecular profiling of tumor should be performed on tissue, and lipid biopsy should be used only if the tissue is not available or if the 
uh, testing of tissue phase or very fast results are needed. And I think that the results of this survey are aligned with this recommendation. Uh, on the other hand, for tissue testing in cholangiocarcinoma, it's more recommended to use both DNA and RNA-based NGS. And this is because we know that DNA NGS might provide some false negative results, in particular for fusion testing. So we need DNA sequencing for mutations, but we also need RNA sequencing to the fusions. And I would say it's quite disappointing, actually, that only a fraction of patients seems to be tested on RNA and GS in addition to DNA and GS. Uh, FISH and uh, quality PCR can be used, but I would say that they are not suggested because this is a, a tumor type on which quite often we have limited amount of tissue and a number of targets to test. And that's why we need NGS because NGS is a will try faster results, but also will allow to test all the relevant biomarks, even believe the amount of tissue. I would say that in Italy, most of the academic centers are using both DNA and RNA-based NGS, but uh, we don't have information about community hospitals. And I guess that in community hospitals, single uh, biomarker tests are still used as the main approach. Thanks. Uh, Angela, is this uh, similar to your own experience in Spain? Well, so in Spain, we have uh, one very important issue with access to treatment, because even though, for example, the FGFR inhibitors are uh, approved, they are still not reimbursed in Spain, which means that the access to testing is also a challenge because they usually both go to both both go together. Once you have the access to drug, then you also have the access to testing. I think in Spain, we try to do as much NGS as we can. I fully agree with what Nicola was saying, that we should probably be doing more RNA testing to catch on all these fusions. Uh, but we are basically doing what uh, we have access to, which in a lot of institutions is access to an NGS panel through clinical trials. In some small institutions, there is no such an access to an NGS panel, and we are using more a fish or more a individual a gene testing for a specific mutations. Um, hopefully, once we have access to drug, I think we will aim to do more NGS for all patients um, and not usually as part of trials, but as, as part of the standard practice. Thanks. So situation in the UK is, is perhaps a little simpler. Um, molecular testing is based in, in regional hubs. So any hospital has access to it assuming the, the test of being requested is, is appropriate. And this is, is something that came out originally of a thing called the 100,000 Genome uh, Project, which, which started about 10 years ago. But it is the case that the tests available depend very much on the drugs that are available. And Angela, you pretty much alluded to that as well. So that uh, FGFR testing, uh, rearrangement testing, is, is pretty universally available because the drug is available whereas uh, other mutations less so because uh, at present there isn't uh, reimbursement in the National Health Service for these for, for many of these agents, and we'll talk about this more uh, subsequently. So ESMO guidelines are now available for the treatment of cholangiocarcinoma. Angela, would you like to describe the current ESMO guidelines? Yeah, of course. So what we see in this slide is a summary of the ESMO guidelines that were published in 2022. What we see is that the first assessment we are going to uh, have uh, performed is the uh, stage of the disease. 
and for patients with early stage, the standard of care is surgery followed by adjuvant capsitabine. As you know, a very significant number of patients will be diagnosed with locally advanced unresectable or with advanced metastatic disease. And in these cases, the standard of care is first line with cisplatinum cytabine with the addition of immunotherapy. We have here the mention of durvalumab, very likely that we will also have the addition of pembrolizumab incorporated in the coming future. But definitely a combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy for the first line setting. And what we see as well is in the second line setting, if there is no targetable alteration, fall FOX or 5-FU and irinotecan as second line a, a standard of care a chemotherapy alternatives. And if you see on the right side of the slide, the bottom, we have a multiple uh, a list of multiple uh, targetable alterations that we can um, use and we can join or um, link with a specific treatment. So we have, for example, the ADH1 mutation with abocidenib, FGFR2 fusion, we have pemigatinib and futibatinib, we, we have the BRIRAP mutation, dabrafeminib and trametinib, and we have, of, of course, monotherapy with pembrolizumab for MSI high and MMR deficiency. And very important also for extrapatic and gallbladder cancer because we see quite a lot of HER2 amplification, the use of trastuzumab, pertuzumab, and new treatment options coming in the field in that respect as well. So precision medicine definitely incorporated first-line immunotherapy as well and the mention of molecular profiling there before starting treatment, which is a very important message. Some uh, therapies are currently uh, approved. Uh, would you like to take us through what's approved and what's not approved, both by the EMA and FDA. So for IDS1 mutation, we have the approval by uh, for EOCDNIP for both FDA and uh, EMA. Uh, we have FGFR2 fusion, pemigatinib and futibatinib, FDA and EMA. For the BRAF mutation, the dabrafenib and trametinib approved by FDA. And then for NTRAC, larotrectinib and tractinib, both FDA and EMA. And the pembrolizumab also by both FDA and EMA for patients with MSI high and MMR deficiency. So a lot of treatment options, not only mentioned in the guidelines, but also approved by EMA and FDA. So um, we've seen that there are a, a large number of um, uh, treatments for uh, cholangiocarcinoma, which have developed in recent years. However, a, a, approval, as we all know, doesn't uh, necessarily uh, mean access. Now, going back to the survey, and this is what respondents said around the availability uh, of treatments in, in their own uh, setting. Now, if I can speak for the, the, the UK, uh, the drug that we have available is penicatinib. And that, that is what we uh, have available right now. It's universally available, uh, free at the point of uh, uh, care in the, in the NHS. But it is currently the only drug that has gone through what's called the NICE process, which approves medication, not, not uh, just by efficacy, but also by cost efficacy, cost, cost efficiency. So, Nicola, what's, uh, what's uh, your experience in Italy of the availability of uh, drugs? Well, currently, uh, pemigatinib is uh, reimbursed, and um, from a few weeks, we have been able also evocidemib to a phase 3b trial that this patient can access to, to the drug. However, looking at this um, chart, I'm quite concerned about the fact that uh, over 50% of the pathologists are not aware of which drug has been uh, approved or is available in their counties, which means that they will not know which uh, target they need to test for their patients. I think this is quite worrying. 
And Angela, in Spain, what's the experience? So there is, again, quite a concerning situation in Spain away, and as well, we have no access to FDFR inhibitors or IDH inhibitor outside the setting of a clinical trial, even though they are approved. And the problem we are having across Europe really is that there is quite a, an heterogeneous situation. So even though it has been quite a long time since the approval of pemigatinib by EMA, what we can see is that there is a discrepancy in the access of pemigatinib by um, across different countries. And for example, there are three countries where uh, renegotiations of the access of pemigatinib are still are still ongoing with 11 countries with uh, access to treatment, but there's still a lot of other countries uh, where the situation is not so straightforward. So a lot of work to do in this regard. So in summary, cholangiocarcinoma is a less common uh, malignancy with rising incidence, but it is rich in actionable targets. Detection of actionable molecular alterations has opened up new therapeutic avenues for patients with uh, cholangiocarcinoma. Based on the ESMO recommendation, DNA and RNA-based NGS is a preferred method for molecular testing. The armamentarium of precision medicine agents for cholangiocarcinoma in Europe is increasing. But what we see is that the access to these innovative treatments are still really quite limited in many European countries. So thank you for watching. Hello, I am Angela Lamarca. I am a medical oncologist specialized in biliary tract cancers from Fundación Jiménez Díaz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. Welcome to this activity on molecular testing and multidisciplinary collaboration in cholangiocarcinoma. I am very pleased to have here with me my colleagues and friends, Professor John Primrose, a GI surgeon from the University of Southampton in Southampton, United Kingdom, and Dr. Nicola Normano, a molecular pathologist from the National Cancer Institute in Naples, Italy. In this second part, we are really going to explore the importance of the multidisciplinary approach to cholangiocarcinoma and how members of the MDT can really improve the molecular testing and outcome for patients with cholangiocarcinoma. Data from the ANSCA registry in across 11 European countries and 26 centers recruited data for 2,200 patients with cholangiocarcinoma. We know that 42.2% of the patients are diagnosed with local disease, but more, more than half of the patients will be diagnosed with locally advanced or metastatic disease, patients who cannot really have a curative treatment. Multidisciplinary team discussion is very important and our patients are really facing a lot of challenges. So I would like to ask my colleagues, uh, Professor Primrose and Dr. Normano about these thoughts. What are, do you feel the biggest challenges for patients with cholangiocarcinoma? John, if you want, you can start. So uh, I'm a surgeon and we are the group that can sometimes cure these patients. But the reality is that even off the patients who have got resectable disease, the majority eventually die of disease. And so out outstandingly, the main problem is the treatment of advanced uh, disease. And although chemotherapy, as we're all aware, does have some efficacy, it's very limited. So we need new treatments. And Nicola? Well, I, I think that the major challenge for a patient with uh, uh, cholangiocarcinoma is really to access to a multidisciplinary team because only within a multidisciplinary team it will be possible uh, to have uh, an accurate diagnosis, a sufficient biopsy to make an histology or to also molecular profiling, and the access to a lab that has experience to perform 
all the Bonaparte tests. So if patients are do not access to a multidisciplinary team, I guess that the number of patients would not receive treatment or would not receive an appropriate treatment would be very high. I think we all agree that a well-functioning multidisciplinary team is really important for our patients with cholangiocarcinoma. And this is some work performed by the ENSCA team in providing recommendations of what a well-functioning MDT is. So we know that from frequency and referral point of view, the MDT should be a weekly um, a weekly meeting to discuss every new patient uh, before they start every new treatment. And this should really include a huge amount of specialists, including surgeons, oncologists, radiologists, hepatologists, gastroenterologists, and pathologists within others. And of course, we need uh, to really uh, have a discussion regarding diagnosis, treatment decision, but also never forget uh, what uh, the patient needs, patient supportive care, uh, and also a patient's preference as well. Peer Boys um, conducted a very interesting survey, and we are going to see some of these results. This survey was among oncologists, pathologists, radiologists, and surgeons to understand admit needs and current practices in the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma across Europe. We just saw which were the recommendations from ENSCA, and what is important is to see what is really happening in real practice. And I would really like to hear my colleagues' uh, opinion on this. So, uh, John, for example, uh, you are a surgeon. Which is the current uh, practice for the entity in your institution? How does uh, it work and does it uh, really apply to this ideal scenario mentioned by ENSCA where all new patients and all new treatments should be discussed? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the things that we do quite well in the UK because the review of patients with biliary tract and all our cancer is mandated. Uh, for all new patients. And so we have a system of most hospitals having an MDT meeting, uh, but there's also at the, the larger teaching hospitals, uh, university hospitals, uh, regional uh, MDT, which looks at all of the more complex problems. So all, all new patients and most major treatment decisions will be reviewed by either a, a, a small hospital uh, MDT or if more complex at a university hospital MDT. So I think this works quite, in general, this works quite well. And all disciplines are usually represented there. And Nicola, what is your uh, situation in, in Italy? Do you think you meet this ideal scenario? Yeah, actually, let's say we, we meet at least in part. In the academic institution reference centers, we have MDT specific for cholangiocarcinoma and we have released a regional guidelines on treatment of cholangiocarcinoma. In my region in particular, we have a MDT within a, a regional platform, a regional ne a network for oncology. So therefore, any patient from any institution can access to the multidisciplinary team. And if it will not be treated in the reference center, but the treatment will be decided. And we have uh, every week or every other week meetings, depending, of, of course, on the number of patients and the needs. So this is going to work, but it's not very well established in every region. So it will take time still. Thank you. So, John, from the surgeon's point of view, how, how can the surgeons facilitate molecular profiling in cholangiocarcinoma? So uh, this is something surgeons are really good at, because if they do a resection, there's usually a lot of tissue and the molecular profiling is no problem because there's absolutely plenty of tissue. The problem then is in, in the majority of patients who are not going to have a major surgical resection, 
In some cases, we can get, uh, by laparoscoping the patient, we can get peritoneal disease, or sometimes we can take a, a wedge of a metastasis. But in most cases, it's really going to be the interventional radiologist or the gastroenterologist who is going to acquire tissue. And very often, this is difficult to do, particularly in hyalur cholangiocarcinoma, and it needs a great deal of expertise to get enough tissue that both is sufficient for the pathologist to make a, a diagnosis and also to have enough left over for molecular testing. So this is really where the, the problem in getting tissue acquisition lies. Yeah, I would take an add is that the interaction with the multidisciplinary team, with the surgeon, with the uh, radiologist, with the gastroenterologist was very important for us also because we start to see better the tissue that was coming to us because you know, we could explain the issue, the problems that we had. On the other hand, we can also discuss for any single patient. We have available also liquid biopsy. And sometimes, you know, if uh, the patient is sick, we need the faster results, we go with liquid biopsy. So the interaction is very important in this, uh, in this specific disease. We also have the concept of the molecular tumor board, which sometimes varies from one country to another. So can you please comment a little bit or describe what molecular tumor board do you have in your countries? Maybe first John and then Nicola. So um, for something like cholangiocarcinoma, we do not usually have a separate molecular tumor board. It's done as part of the, the, the MDT. Nicola? Well, the same need that actually the molecular tumor board have been established or been established in almost every region. Some regions have a like kind of a regional uh, molecular tumor board. In other, we have networks of molecular tumor board. And usually, we refer to molecular tumor board those patients that are negative for biomarker pruning uh, uh, clinical practice. In Spain, it actually varies a lot from one from one center to another. For example, in my institution, we do have one molecular tumor board. But we usually discuss patients who have had the molecular profiling performed within the institution's facilities. I think in the future, how I see this moving forward is with a full molecular tumor board covering all the NGS that happens in one institution, regardless of where the testing has been performed here or not. And I think patients with cholangiocarcinoma should be a key part of this molecular tumor board because they actually have a lot of interesting uh, results, not only for targetable alterations, but also for germline testing, where you really need the multidisciplinary t uh, discussion of a molecular tumor board as well. I think, you know, the management of cholangiocarcinoma is really becoming very challenging and very complex. And we really need this multidisciplinarity for providing our patients with the best care. And of course, not all the centers are sectors, centers with an expertise in these malignancies. So it's really important to try and break some of these barriers. So in some occasions, there is a limited understanding on the, of the impact of really this molecular profiling uh, on patients' outcome, because if we find an actionable alteration, we may really uh, be able to match that with a treatment. And for this, uh, education uh, seems to be really, really important. Nicola, how do you think we can really have this education and really uh, have this networking improve? Well, we need to uh, have education on all the stakeholders that are involved in the process. That will include in this also patients. We are collaborating a lot also with the patient's organization. But we need to educate the pathologists, the radiologists, the gastroenterologists, the surgeon, and of course also the medical oncologists. And only by increasing the awareness of the importance of testing, we can get to a, a, to a situation in which all patients will receive the test for all appropriate biomarkers and possibly also a precision therapy. 
And it's not only education. I think there is always uh, some lack of resources in some centers and those patients may need to be referred to centers with expertise or there must be a, a way of these oncologists or treating physicians being able to discuss these patients with a centers of expertise. So, John, how, how do you think we can improve this networking between different institutions with a center of excellence? Well, I mean, Angela, you've also worked in the UK and um, I think in the centre you worked in as well as mine, we, we run a, a hub and spoke system. So we've got a, a central university teaching hospital with hospitals that refer to us for these particular problems. And I think that's actually quite a good system. It's easier to do in the UK, I think, because we have a national healthcare system so that uh, the, the funding stream is, is, is universal. But I, I'm aware that isn't the case everywhere in Europe. But I think there has to be a hub where all the expertise lies and patients have access to that. That's the only way forward, I think. Thank you. Well, thank you all very much for watching. And thank you, John and Nicola, for your expertise. Thank you. Hello, I'm Angela Lamarca. I am a medical oncologist specialized in biliary tract cancers from Fundación Jiménez Díaz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. Welcome to this activity on molecular testing and multidisciplinary collaboration in cholangiocarcinoma. I am very pleased to have with me my colleagues and friends, Dr. Nicola Normano, a molecular pathologist from the National Cancer Institute of Naples, Italy, and Professor John Primrose, a GI surgeon from the University of Southampton in Southampton, UK, joining me in this discussion. In this third part, we are going to discuss the gaps around molecular testing in cholangiocarcinoma and how can we overcome them. Peer Boys conducted a survey among oncologists, pathologists, radiologists and surgeons to understand and met needs and current practice in the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma across Europe. And I would really like to discuss the results around when molecular A testing is performed and which patients with cholangiocarcinoma are normally tested. We have here some of the some of the results of the survey, and I would like to start by asking Nicola to comment on which uh, on on these results and whether they really match with the ideal scenario and the ESMO recommendations. Which are your thoughts? Well, Angela, the good news is that uh, according to this survey, the majority of patients were tested before preclinical progression. Now, the uh, recommendation from ESMO is to test patients when they have advanced disease before starting first-line therapy, but it's okay also if patients are tested during the first-line therapy, because today we do not have any target therapy available for first-line. There is also about 23% of, of patients that were tested with reflex testing, and there are pros and cons on this. The cause is that you, know, you may end up if you do reflex testing. So if you test all patients with the diagnosis of cholangiocarcinoma, you may end up to test also patients that do not have advanced disease. But we know that majority of patients have advanced disease. Even patients with gas surgery may have a recurrence of disease. And reflex testing can save time and can save tissue. Because every time you have to take back the block and you have to cut, you will lose a lot of tissue. So I hope that at the end, reflex testing will be really the, the approach that we'll be using because this will improve our probability to test more patients and to get more reliable results. I fully agree. I think my current practice in Spain is uh, to perform the NGS, uh, at least to request the NGS as soon as the patient is diagnosed with advanced disease. 
So in reality, if I request the NGS when the patient is going to start this first line treatment, I will probably get the results before I have this first reassessment CT scan so I can plan uh, further steps in advance. As, but in the future, if we have the uh, adequate access to testing, we may probably end up doing some more uh, reflex testing, but it's an absolute exception uh, in Spain. Uh, John, what about the practicing in the United Kingdom? Well, this is very straightforward. It's, pre it's pretty much uh, done before uh, treatment of advanced disease starts, but it's only for uh, FGFR uh, mutations rearrangements because uh, penigatumab is the only drug that's currently reimbursed in the UK. So that alone is done, but that's when it's done. I think for the future that we have to do multiple testing and it should be reflex. Because we all know that even in patients who have surgery, the majority will actually relapse and at some stage need these agents. One of the very important questions in this survey was actually about the potential barriers to the testing. Uh, because I think people are very well aware of the need of testing, but this is not something very easy to access for clinicians and patients. So let's discuss on the barriers that uh, were identified. We have uh, quite a few barriers identified, and I would like first to hear, uh, John, your comments on the inadequate tissue sample to test for multiple alterations. So, you know, tissue is an issue in cholangiocarcinoma. Can you comment on it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a major issue. That is, except in patients who've had surgical resections, in which case it, it, it's abundant. Now, I think if you've got obvious liver metastasis, it, the simplest thing is simply just to do core core biopsies because you will then normally get enough uh, material to do both the pathology and the molecular testing. Now, the problem is in patients who don't have extraductal uh, metastasis, and that's where it's really difficult. So... It depends on local expertise, and we, we rely a lot on endoscopic ultrasound-based FNA because we've, we've our, our endoscopists have got used to doing this uh, to recruit to the National Pancreatic Cancer Trials where you need to have molecular testing. So this has improved a lot. Tissue from hyalur cholangiocarcinoma is, is very difficult because it's inaccessible uh, and actually can be quite dangerous to uh, put a, a, an endoscope and a, uh, a probe or a, uh, a biopsy forceps up the bile duct because you can then infect, infect the, uh, the upper biliary tract, which is very uh, deleterious effect on patients. So it's very difficult, but with local expertise, we can normally get something. One of the other main challenges uh, was about deciding which test or platform to use, which, uh, you know, uh, is, is a big problem sometimes, and we really need expertise for making that form of decision. So, Nicola, maybe you can help us understanding this issue a little bit better. Well, uh, I would say, Angela, that I was quite surprised to see that 76% uh, of the pathologists really uh, think that uh, a, a barrier to testing is represented by deciding which test or platform to use. We have a guidelines, recommendation, papers. I think we have a lot of information ready that provide us all the evidence on which platform and which test we should use to test the specific genomic alterations that are relevant for patients with cholangiocarcinoma. So I think that we really need more education in this field 
and maybe we need you also some training really in the lab for pathologists and molecular pathologists. Thank you. And uh, which would be the summary of your recommendation? If someone was asking you, which is the best test? What shall we answer to that question? Basically, Angela, there are two different strategies that you can use. On one end, there are uh, tests that are able to assess single biomarker per analysis, or you can use the NGS. The best uh, strategy is to use immune stochemistry for microcytic instability and for hertz amplification, because actually it's cheap, works pretty well, and for it's very well standardized, and even for copy number attrition for immune for F2 uh, amplification, immunosuccurrency is a, a well accepted and established technique. Then we need NGS. NGS on DNA will provide information for IDH1 and the rough mutation, whereas RNA NGS will provide all the information for FGO42 fusions and, and drug fusions. And so combined immunosuccurrency and DNA NGS and RNA NGS, you can cover all the different genomic alteration using also panels for NGS uh, that are medium or small size, so you don't need really comprehensive genome profile uh, panels at least at this stage. Thank you, thank you very much. So we're speaking about barriers, um, there are other barriers that were identified as well. So uh, one of the main ones mentioned was access or reimbursement issues. So John, maybe you could comment a little bit on problems with access to treatments. Well, uh, as you know, in the UK, it's a very regulated system, and uh, uh, penigatinib is the is a drug that is currently re, uh, available on the NHS. Um, I am sure that with uh, time, uh, the IDH drug, IDH um, one drugs will become available. Well, they've not come through yet, so. Uh, unless the patient is being managed in the private sector, which is which is really very small numbers, uh, it's penny getting it at the moment or nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes having the clinical trial data or even the approval doesn't really mean that this treatment is accessible to patients or reimbursed. So that's an ongoing challenge. There is also a second challenge mentioned that I would like to very briefly uh, comment on, and is the limited or no access to clinical trials. And I think for really improving that, we really need probably a better networking between a small institutions and a centers of excellence. Also, there was a one finding around deciding how to sequence available treatments. And I think very likely uh, we are going to have more data in this regard. We are now, now that we are using targeted therapies more and uh, after all the clinical trials that we have had with precision medicine approaches, we are really understanding better the the uh, mechanism of resistance, for example, how shall we sequence uh, different uh, treatments? Uh, and I think we will have more data in that regard. There was another one, Nicola, that I would like to hear your thoughts on, which is the delay in receiving the testing results. Uh, which are your thoughts for that one? Well, actually, Angela, the recommendation, the national and the international recommendation is that molecular profile should be performed in no more than 10 working days. But this is uh, possible only if you have available the tissue. Sometimes, you know, the, the patient maybe received the, the, the testing in another institution, but takes time one or two weeks before you get the tissue and you start. Sometimes the, the tissue is very small, so you need to make uh, different attempts before you, you, you get uh, good results. So the, the message and what we are trying to do is really to start testing as soon as possible. And this is why I also think that reflex testing would be important because only by uh, approaching this way, we will have tests, the results of the test uh, 
in a, a, a suitable time. Thank you very much. I think we have uh, brought a few very important uh, points. Uh, just as a summary, we think that prompt molecular testing, ideally at diagnosis, is essential and may allow patients to receive additional treatments that improve outcomes, especially at diagnosis of advanced disease. DNA-based NGS is the preferred method for IVH1 or BRAF point mutations, but we really need to think of a RNA-based NGS as a method for NTRAC or FGFR2 fusions, with immunohistochemistry really being the method of preference for MSI high or HER2 overexpression. We heard a lot about a lot of barriers to molecular testing, including inadequate tissue sample and also knowledge of appropriate testing platforms, among others. And of course, education about targeted treatments, which is essential as the number of molecular alterations are, are increasing and targeted treatments are also increasing as well. And with all this, I would like to thank you both, John and Nicola, for the lively discussion and all of you for watching. Thank you. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.